1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. You can find out more. Get their phone number. Give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got great guests for today's show, including Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Les Government. We'll visit with Seton as well as the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. We'll get his views on what's happening here locally. <clears throat> it is April the 14th and on the day in 1865, President Abraham Lincoln was shot in the head at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. on April the 14th, 1865. The assassination actor John Wil- Wilkes Booth shouted Semper, uh six Semper terrenus ever thus to tyrants the south is avenged as he jumped onto the stage and fled on horseback lincoln died the next morning booth who remained in north car uh, in the north during the war despite his confederate sympathies initially plotted to capture president lincoln and take him to richmond the confederate capital however on March the 20th, 1865, the day of the planned kidnapping, the president failed to appear at the spot where Booth and his six fellow conspirators laid in wait. 2 weeks later, Richmond fell to the Union forces. In April, with Confederate armies near collapse across the South, Booth hatched a desperate plan to save the Confederacy. Learning that Lincoln was to attend Laura Keene's acclaimed performance in Our American Cousin at Ford's Theater on April the 14th, Booth plotted the simultaneous assassination of Lincoln, Vice President Andrew Johnson, and Secretary of State William Seward by murdering the president and uh, two of his possible successors. Booth and his conspirators hoped... Uh, to throw the U.S. government into a paralyzing disarray. On the evening of the 14th, conspirator Louis T. Powell burst into Secretary of State Seward's home, seriously wounding him and three others, while George A. Arizat, assigned to Vice President Johnson, lost his nerve and fled. Meanwhile, just after 10 p.m., Booth entered Lincoln's private theater unnoticed and shot the president with a single bullet in the back of the head, Although Booth had broken his left leg, jumping onto Lincoln's, from Lincoln's box, he succeeded in escaping Washington. The president, mortally wounded, was carried to a cheap lodging house opposite Ford's Theater. About 7.22 a.m. the next morning, he died, the first U.S. president to be assassinated. Along with friends Samuel Arnold, Michael McLaughlin, and John Surratt, Booth conspired to kidnap Lincoln and deliver him to the South. On March 17th, when George Arizat uh, David Herrod and uh, Lewis Powell, the group met in Washington Bar to plot the abduction of the president three days later. However, when the president changed his plans, the scheme was scuttled. Shortly afterwards, the South surrendered to the Union and conspirators, conspirators uh, altered their plan. They decided to kill Lincoln, Vice President Johnson, and Secretary of State Seward. Uh, when April the 14th came around, Herzog uh, backed out of his plan to kill Johnson. Upset, Booth went to drink at Saloon uh, near Ford's Theater. About 10 p.m., he walked into the theater and up to the president's box. Lincoln's guard, John Parker, was not there because he'd gotten bored with a play and left the post to get a beer. Booth easily slipped in and shot the president in the back of the head. The president's friend, Mary Rathbone, Major Rathbone, attempted to grab Booth, but was slashed by Booth's knife. Booth injured his leg badly when he jumped to the stage to escape, but he managed to hobble outside to his horse Meanwhile, Lewis Powell forced his way into William Seward's home and stabbed the Secretary of State several times before fleeing. Booth rode to Virginia with David Herod and stopped at the home of Dr. Samuel Mudd, who placed splints on uh, Booth's legs. They hid in a barn on Richard Garrett's farm as thousands of Union soldiers and troops combed the area looking for them. The other conspirators were captured except for John Surratt, who fled to Canada. When the troops finally caught up with Booth and Herod on April the 26th, they gave them the option of surrendering before the barn was burned. Herod decided to surrender, but Booth remained in the barn as it went up in flames. Booth was then shot and killed in the burning barn by Corporal Boston Corbett. On July the 7th, George Azeroth, Lewis Powell, David Herod, and John Surratt's mother, Mary, were hanged in Washington, The execution of Mary Surratt is believed to have some miscarriage of justice. Although there was proof of Surratt's involvement in the original abduction, it's clear that her deeds were minor compared to those of the others that were executed. Her son John was eventually tracked down in Egypt and brought back to trial, but he managed, with the help of clever lawyers, to win acquittal. The story of Abraham Lincoln's death this day, assassinated in 1865. Sad indeed in our American history. Well, following a manhunt for a suspect behind the Brooklyn subway shooting, Frank James has reportedly been taken into custody in East Village in New York. A crime stopper's tip was uh, led to James' arrest. At least 29 people were said to have been injured in the attack, including 10 who were shot. Five of those who were shot are in the hospital in critical but stable condition. No deaths were reported. According to the New York Post, a 9 millimeter semi-automatic lock was used in the attack, and at one point it jammed which police said prevented further injuries. Thank God. He's now in custody. Well, at least 20 FBI and Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives assets, or people, or employees, or uh, affiliated with, were embedded around the U.S. Capitol on January the 6th. That, according to a defense attorney he wrote in a court filing, the disclosure was made in the motion seeking to dismiss seditious conspiracy and obstruction jar- charges against 10 Oath Keepers, defendants in one of the most prominent January 6 criminal cases. David W. Fisher, attorney for James uh, Thomas Caldwell of Berryville, Virginia, filed a 41-page motion to dismiss four counts on behalf of all Oath Keepers, case defendants before U.S. District Court's Amit Mehta in Washington, D.C., Caldwell is charged in the indictment, but is not a member of the Oath Keepers. Uh, Since the first arrest on January 6th, defendants in early 2021, there have been extensive speculation and questions from attorneys, defendants, case observers, and uh, members of Congress about the role of law enforcement played in that day. During a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on January 11th, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz grilled top FBI officials on the subject. He asked, how many FBI agents or confidential informants actively participated in the event of January 6th? Cruz uh, asked Jill Sanborn, executive assistant director of the FBI's National Security Branch. Sir, I'm sure you can appreciate that I I can't go into the specifics of sources and methods, Sanborn said. Cruz replied, did did any FBI agents or confidential informants actively participate in the events of January 6th? Yes or no? Sir, I can't answer that, she said. Did any FBI agents or confidential informants commit crimes of violence on January the 6th, Cruz had asked. I can't answer that, sir, Sandboard replied. Jeremy Brown, an Oath Keepers member from Florida who is charged with two January 6th related counts but is not part of the major Oath Keepers conspiracy case, uh, said that uh, this year that the FBI unsuccessfully tried to recruit him in 2020 to spy on the group. Brown said the same agents who later arrested him for alleged January 6 crimes tried to recruit him on December the 11th, 2020, to become a confidential informant. He refused. He was arrested on September the 30th, 2021, with uh, dozens of uh, federal agents swarmed his Florida property. When asked by me and my girlfriend to produce the warrants at the time of the arrest, they refused to produce them. Brown said one agent was even recorded stating, "We don't know what you're, we're looking for yet." They should look for a copy of the Constitution to read it, he said. Absolutely true. So I'm sure this story will develop, but it's important to know that they've located, by scouring the records, 20 agents of the FBI, tobacco firearms, uh, these groups, 20 agents who participated and perhaps orchestrated the January 6th uh, event at the Capitol. Uh, why? Why did they do that? Hmm, sounds like a political plot to me. Well, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have extended this COVID 19 travel mask mandate once again. Masks will be required for two weeks longer than initially planned. The extension is now set to run out until May the 3rd. It was scheduled to expire on the 18th. The decision was made to monitor and uptick the BA.2 Omicron variant subvariant cases in the country. It will be a two-week extension to see if there are any observable increases in severe virus outcomes, and decision was made out of an abundance of caution. The Transportation Security Administration enforces the rules on planes, buses, trains, and transit hubs. Republican lawmakers, along, uh, along with airline officials, have asked for the administration to do away with the federal mask mandate for travel. Airline CEOs cited vaccine efficacy and the burden of enforcing the mandate in a letter to the president last month. Now is the time for the administration to sunset federal transportation travel restrictions, including international pre-departure testing requirement and the federal mask mandate that are no longer aligned with the realities of current epidemiological environment, the letter said. Importantly, The effectiveness and availability of high-quality masks for those who wish to wear them gives passengers the ability to further protect themselves if they so choose to do so, the lettering continued. It makes no sense that people are required to wear masks on airplanes, yet are allowed to congregate in crowded restaurants, schools, and at sporting events without masks, despite many of the venues having the protective air filtration and don't have them that the aircraft do. Many states have rolled back mask mandates in restaurant stores and other indoor settings. COVID-19 cases have fallen since the peak of the Omicron variant. But Philadelphia has reinstated mask mandates indoors because of increasing COVID-19 cases in the city. We'll see where this all goes, but it seems suspiciously uh, prevalent uh, before the elections here in 2022. So interesting to watch how this all transpires. Hospitals, however, are not filling up with uh, Omicron cases. Well, just 9% of Americans believe COVID-19 is a serious crisis, signaling America's, Americans are ready to move past the pandemic that, according to an Axios-Ipsos poll released yesterday, the poll asked Republicans that characterize the state of the coronavirus in the U.S. Only 16% of Democrats called it a serious crisis, compared to just 3% of Republicans. 66% of Republicans called it a problem but manageable compared to 81% of Democrats. Overall, 73% of said it was a problem but manageable. Meanwhile, 31% of Republicans said it was not a problem at all, while just 3% of Democrats said the same, according to the poll. So, in other words, American, Americans are pretty much saying, you know, it's an inconvenience, but we can manage it. We don't need the government stepping in and uh, taking control. And by the way... Airfare is surging at higher fuel prices and strong travel demand drive up the cost of flights. consumer spending $8.8 billion on domestic U.S. airline tickets last month, up 28% compared to March 2019 before the pandemic hit, while fares surged 20% according to data from Adobe Digital Economic Index that was published Tuesday. Bookings only rose 12%. Higher fares are one of the latest examples of inflation, which is hitting consumers at the gas stations, supermarkets, and at the housing market. In the housing market. Finally, in this segment, uh, Delta Airlines announced they've dropped a $200 per month surcharge on unvaccinated employees' uh, health insurance. That the company moves to treat COVID-19 as a seasonal virus. This is good news. Uh, CEO Ed Bastian announced that the policy reversal on a call with experts and reporters. We've dropped. uh, As of this month, the additional insurance surcharge, given the fact that we really do believe that the pandemic has moved to a seasonal virus, he said. Good news uh, for Delta employees. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Keith Law, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Keith. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance.
3: Uh, well, we're a, a grassroots organization statewide. Um, we focus on K-12 through education reform. Uh, for us, that means... Uh, Fighting for um, getting rid of, I guess the best way to say it is getting rid of the indoctrinations in our schools, and fighting for the parents' rights to to uh, educate their child however they believe. Um, that includes um, many of the scholarships and opportunities to. Uh, the
1: government schools, if you will. Yeah no I think the uh, your organization is doing a great job. It's been around about a decade a little bit longer and uh, in the consequence has been just great influence, positive influence in Tallahassee with the governor's office as well as the Commission of Education and the legislature with regard to public education it really made some positive impact. So uh, any, any update on what's happening with the schools in are the uh, books in Calier County, the textbooks?
3: No, we're in the middle of doing a, 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 an update of the reviews. We've got about 10 volunteers right now who are reading books um, for looking for uh, objections, primarily looking for uh, critical race theory um, and uh, sexual explicit material that's in the books. Uh, we have until the 26th of April uh, to uh, to provide that input to the school district. Uh, and if we do find objections, which I'm sure some of us will, uh, then it'll force a hearing in in May. They have 30 days after the objection, the final date, to schedule a formal hearing.
1: Yeah, can you tease so, it all? Is there, is there are there any findings so far?
3: Uh, I, I several of the folks I've talked to are finding things. We haven't pulled it together, Bob. So it's really hard for me to understood. Give any concrete.
1: Understood. So, Keith, uh, in terms of uh, moving forward, what's, what are some of the things you're thinking about?
3: Well, I thought maybe today uh, we might do something a little bit different, Bob, since uh, tomorrow's uh, Good Friday and we're moving into Easter. Um, you might call it a riddle or you could call it a, uh, a, just a brain tease, but it, I think it's really germane to w- what's going on in our culture and particularly in our schools. Um, describe in one word the difference between liberty and freedom.
1: Liberty and freedom. Hmm.
3: It, it, uh, and since we're on a radio show with a short time limit, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an answer and then I'll kind of explain uh, what, what the relevance is. The difference between liberty and freedom is something called morality. Hmm. If you're totally free and we're living in a society where it's a, I call it the society of meism, my truths right mm-hmm. if you're living in a society where you're totally free, you're totally free to do whatever you want regardless of the impact it has on your on your fellow man um and 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 on the other flip side of that coin if you're uh, if if you really do believe in liberty and the individual rights. Uh, there's a morality that comes into play that prevents you from trampling on your neighbor's rights. Um, A good example is if you're totally free, you're free to kill me if you choose to. Um, And now the question becomes, and this is where it really gets interesting. I think the question becomes morality. Hmm. Whose morality defines the difference between total freedom and total liberty? And when you stop and think about that, that morality can come in a number of different flavors. It can come in the flavor of secularism that came into our schools back in the, in the mid fifties and sixties, mm-hmm. where we took God uh, and, and, and nature out of our, our schools. And we went into the, what I call the secular religion. Uh, you can replace it with Marxism. So the morality of Marxism, which is creeping into our schools, creeping maybe be uh, t- too soft a word some would say, stampeding into our schools. And so when you stop and think about how we've gotten into this culture that we're in, uh, it, uh, I would argue that it is in large part because we have, in fact, allowed a, a secularism or allowed Marxism to define um, freedom, what, 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 what we now, many of us would call my truth, my freedom, mm-hmm. to do what pleases me, uh, versus, um, you know, uh, uh, our individual liberty that so many of us have fought for for so long going way back to the ages. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, it's a little bit philosophical, but it's uh, the, the day before Good Friday and Easter. And when you think back about what's happened to our schools in two generations as we threw, um, you know, God out of our schools. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of an interesting way to, to to maybe think about things as we head into Easter. At yeah. least I thought it was.
1: Well, it is extremely interesting and, and thought provoking. Uh, question. I, I would add that uh, first of all uh the 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 thing that occurs to me is we have rule we have law for so that uh we've set laws and people who obey we also have the requirement when we have freedom for personal responsibility so you have to number one as a as a citizen of the united states you have to obey the laws if you don't do that you get punished slowly but surely the law catches up with you and you could actually end up incarcerated so uh, and then you have uh, social mores, things that uh, are perhaps not law, but are ex- expectations that we have. Even something as simple as the amount of distance between people when they have a conversation. In some, some societies, you know that expectation might be a foot, whereas here in the United States, uh, it might be like two and a half or three feet when we have a conversation. We expect that kind of space, if you will, in terms of uh, how we interact. So it's an interesting question, isn't it? But uh, the one thing that I think we could really agree on is that uh, you have to take personal responsibility to become a citizen of the United States. You have that freedom as long as you take the uh, responsibility to abide by the laws and the mores of the country.
3: And, and and I would put a big circle around that and say those are a set of moral values. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, again, it's just an interesting way to think about things as we head into uh, the Easter weekend.
1: Yeah, you know, and uh, morals, it's, it is an interesting, morals uh, can vary from culture to culture. So they're they're related very much to our culture. But if we want to preserve our culture, uh, we have to, uh, number one, follow, have a moral upbringing of our kids. You know, kids are born into the world, they're pretty much savages, right? They're, you know, they have no discipline. They're throwing cereal over the place, you, you know, and, and it's through proper training and it's through uh, diligent parenting that you end up with uh, good citizens at the other end. And that's what we all seek is to have people who are, that's one of the reasons why I enjoy Collier County so much. We're so fortunate. You see this subway shooting in uh, New York City god forbid that anything like that should happen here but the point is that we have law and order the uh, sheriff's office here in Cuyahoga county respects the law plays no favorites and uh <clears throat> therefore we have a safe place for us to live
3: uh, for sure yeah, yeah no, we do live in a uh, Some someone said the other day we live in the greatest uh, city in the greatest state in the union so
1: no question about it. Not everybody agrees with that, of course, but uh, then we have well, the we have the freedom to choose, don't we?
3: It's it's time for them to go find that other place, then, because it's end of season, and I'd like my city back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, we can certainly agree on that, Keith Long. Again, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. I strongly encourage you to number one visit the website goflca.com. dot com. GoFLCA.com is the website. You also make a contribution because Keith, uh, Pastor Rick Stevens, and, and others volunteer their time, and it's on their nickel. They're back and forth between Tallahassee and uh, helping us have good laws on the books with regard to, and good policy with regard to public education. So, Keith, really appreciate your contribution here to the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Uh, Thank you, Bob, and uh, you and your listeners have a great Easter.
1: You as well. Thank you, Keith. All right, coming up, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website iamdesigntoheal.com. That's iamdesignedtoheal.com. Or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit iamdesigntoheal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience.
0: Bob
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. Just some great achievements in the last decade. A $12 million budget, doing, and among other things, uh, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And I hope you'll visit the website, even though you can contribute. The website is thefga.org, thefga.org. Well, the prices of goods and services producers receive rose in March at the fastest pace since records have been kept, that according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The producer price index, which measures the prices paid by wholesalers, increased 11.2% from a year ago, the most in a data series going back to November 2010. On a monthly basis, the gauge climbed 1.4% above the 1.1% Dow Dow Jones' estimate and and also a record, that's amazing. So if that's what producer prices prices are uh, what the producers are paying, you can imagine what what prices are going to happen. What's going to happen to prices uh, once goods and services are produced? They're going to go up. Unfortunately, inflation is not transitory. Well, President Biden's approval rating has reached the lowest level of his presidency, with a new poll showing only a third of Americans approve of his job performance. Just 33% of Americans approve of Biden's uh, job performance compared to 54% who disapprove. That's a 21% disparity. Unbelievable. That's according to results from a Quinnipiac uh, University poll released yesterday. The mark ties the lowest approval Biden has received in the poll during his presidency matched the number set in January when the president faced a 33 to 53 approval deficit Biden's approval numbers are up slightly among registered voters, with 35% say they approve of the president's job performance compared to 55% who disapprove. So uh, the war, Ukraine war, uh, and what's the invasion from Russia, all that I'm sure the Biden administration was expecting to divert our attention away from or change the scent from inflation, from the border crisis and the things that are going on and going wrong here in the United States It's not happening. Uh, Biden's approval uh, rating now, even after what's happened in Ukraine, pretty much the same and even getting worse. Well, the week's prize for spending goes to the U.S. Congress, especially the Democrats controlling both chambers for pouring billions of dollars taxpayer dollars into lawmakers' pet projects through the revived process of earmarking. If you're not aware, it is back earmarking a total of 4,975 earmarks worth over $9 billion combined with funded into a $1.5 trillion omnibus spending bill passed in March and signed by the president. While lawmakers in both parties collected billions of dollars in earmarks for their home states, Democrats' projects cost 50% more than those of Republicans. The omnibus spending bill approved $5.1 billion in earmarks, now formally Euphemized as member directed spending <laughs> for Democrats and 3.4, so 5.1 for Democrats, 3.4 billion for Republicans, and 600 million for bipartisan sponsored projects. Democrats had 3,682 earmarks compared to 1,014 for Republicans. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer topped the list for a number of earmarks with a total of 203 projects worth a whopping. million. Oregon Democrat Senator Ron Wyden and Jeff Merkley came in second after Schumer in the number of projects funded with the pair ranking in a total of $173.3 million for 149 projects. And while the three Democrat senators earned the dubious distinction of having the most home state projects funded, four Republicans and one Democrat came in the top five in funding amounts that received for their earmarks, Alabama Republican Senator Richard Shelby came in first in uh, total funding for his approximate 16 earmarks. The retired senator amassed $648 million for his state. Lindsey Graham wasn't far behind, $337 million in funding. Democrat uh, Senator Patrick Leahy uh, came in fifth as he nabbed 79 earmarks worth $162.2 million. Now, some of the most egregiously wasteful projects uh, are found to be, for example, $3 million for the Palo Alto History Museum, which will showcase the legacy of innovation and remarkable heritage that is unique to Palo Alto. Your tax dollars, $3 million of it, going to this museum in Palo Alto. $142,500 for the Las Vegas Bike Share Bikes $800,000 eight hundred thousand for artist Lofts in Pomona, California, three million dollars for a Gandhi Museum in Texas, four hundred and ninety six thousand for a local swimming pool in Yonkers, New York, three point two million for a local bike path in Rhode Island. A bike path, three point two million dollars, two million for reducing inequity and in access to solar power in Delaware. <laughs> two million for a new soccer field in Anaheim, California. 500,000 for a ski jump in New Hampshire. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this stuff. This is exactly this is money that's being spent your tax dollars in the omnibus bill, 1.5 trillion dollars. 488,000 for the township of North, North Bergen, New Jersey for municipal traffic calming. <laughs> $500,000, uh, excuse me, 750,000 for a baseball field in Lowell, Massachusetts. for a creative village affordable housing and studio complex for artists in Decatur, Georgia. $1.1 million for soccer complex facility improvements in Rhode Island. This is just unbelievable. With a $1 trillion plus annual deficit projected as far as the eye can see, Congress needs to get our fiscal house in order. That, according to Joshua Sewell, Senior Policy Analyst at Taxpayers for Common Sense, One concern we have with the return of the earmarks is that they consume a lot of time and effort for lawmakers and staff, Sewell explained. Every moment a lawmaker on their staff spends fielding constituents' requests, vetting those requests, and lobbying the Appropriations Committee for their request is a moment they don't get to spend on finding fiscally sustainable solutions to our nation's pressing needs. Boy, is that true. It's important for Congress to ensure earmarks don't take away from some of these bigger picture issues. But I guess this is the only way that uh, they can make sausage is say, I want to get mine, I'll make sure you get yours. We'll work together and uh, solve all these problems by getting local money for our constituents. That's what it's all about. Unbelievable. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: The Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network
1: Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees.
0: Bob Harden show, and now here's your host, Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. dot org. Coming up, we've got a visit with former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now, we have with us Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Good morning, sir.
1: Good morning, Seaton. Tell us about less government.
4: Yeah, we reduced the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government and it ain't happening.
1: No, it's a big job, but keep on working at it, Seaton. <laughs> you you wrote a great column. Food shortages and skyrocketing prices, questioned Mark. Biden upping payments to ban farmland. And if this is so true, it's such an important story, Seaton. Maybe you could tell us about it.
4: Yeah. <laughs> You know, we've watched Biden do things that make no logical sense whatsoever. For example, he walks into the White House and kills all domestic oil production. And one of the main ways he can do that is there's tons and tons of federal land. I think, like, it's some ridiculous stat. Like, two-thirds of the land west of the Mississippi is owned by the federal government, which would cause the founding fathers to, you know, be on a rotisserie in their grave. Right. Um, but a lot of it contains oil. And so you have to go play mother may I with the federal government to even begin to access the oil. Well, then, of course, Biden plays this game where he issues all kinds of permits on the land, but then blocks all all, you know, all the environmental uh impact. Uh, He says no on all the environmental things. So he can come out publicly and say, we've issued more permits than anybody. Well, it doesn't matter if he's not going to let them drill. Right. right? So anyway, it's a land control thing. They control the land so they make the rules and block oil production. Well, a lesser known situation is there's a a massive government-funded program to, to block land from being farmed hmm. and the, the farmers can voluntarily join this program, but you know, it's like anything else. If you're going to pay someone to do nothing, they're going to take it over paying them, to, you know, getting paid to do something. So we have like 4 million really good acres of arable farmland. This, this locked up and, and you can't farm it. And the farming, several farming groups went to the Biden administration once the idiotic Ukraine situation started and said, uh, look, let us out of these. Let us use this land and farm. Yeah. And t- Tom Philzak is the Department of Agriculture secretary for Biden. And he said he issued a blanket no huh. on, on releasing any of the land. to to additional farming, and of course, as we know, for over a year now, way before the Ukraine thing started, we were having shortages, and, and, you know, empty-shelves Biden or bare-shelves Biden was trending on on, uh, Twitter a year ago. Yeah. I mean, way before Ukraine. And, of course, the prices have skyrocketed as well. Part of that's the fuel cost, of course, because you have to drive the groceries to the store. But part of it is, we keep blocking farmers from farming in the United States of America, and ranchers from ranching because that's how you get yummy steaks—is is ranchers and then send them to market. So how do they justify? So anyway,
1: how do they justify that?
4: Oh, it's in the name of the environment, just like the just like the uh, drilling for oil. Yeah, it's all this is a, this is a quote unquote conservation thing where they lock out farmland oh it's kind of like their own little carbon offset uh, you can farm this land to offset you farming this land we're going to block you from farming this land hmm. that's what they're doing and, <laughs> and of course we have the most arable land in the world yep we have the we have the quality of the of the arable land is some of the highest in the world if not the highest and best in the world and farmers are begging the federal government to allow them to farm more of it in the in the midst of growing food shortages and skyrocketing food prices, and the government's not letting them do it.
1: This is just an amazing Again, I, story. I think
4: this sounds very similar to the oil
1: situation. Yeah, it's a, this is uh, just shocking. I think you said four million acres laying fallow, doing four, nothing.
4: Four, I think it's four point one. I think right now, four point one million acres are locked up in this, in this thing. And you
1: know? we know that Ukraine, we know that Russia, all the grain that's being produced there is not going to be available for us. This is absolutely leading to a crisis, and we're doing nothing about it. We actually have the, like we do with energy, we have the facilities and we have the resources in order to solve the problem.
4: And we're not doing it. You know, I, I wrote a couple of weeks ago about how incredibly fortunate, ge- ge- geographically and topographically, topographically the United States says mm-hmm. we have two giant oceans surrounding, you know, on, on the east and west borders, which prevents invasion. Uh, we're not preventing the invasion from the south, but that's a separate issue. Um, you know, if we were proper custodians of our country and our borders, that would be addressed. But we're not because we're not a serious country. But not only are we safe based on geography, but topographically, we are incredibly fortunate. We have greater oil reserves yep. than Saudi Arabia. Yep. We have incredible amounts of arable land. If we were allowed to farm it, we could produce pretty much everything we need right here. Uh, if the government would let us, and the government won't let us.
1: You know, Seaton, and it's just amazing to me that right now the Democrats are saying we just haven't done a good job of communicating with the American people our achievements and accomplishments. Right, if a
4: messaging <laughs> problem. Yeah. <laughs> because it's not like they have information dominance and control every avenue of communications in the country.
1: Exactly. Unbelievable. Big
4: media, big tech, you know, colleges, government schools, K-12. Yeah, the problem is their armadas of messengers aren't delivering the message properly.
1: Unbelievable. Well, so, this is such an important story now. What can we do about this, Seton? I mean, uh, the the land is linked. Have, valid- uh,
4: you know, uh, this is... Again, as I wrote in a piece yesterday, if it helps America, Democrats won't do it. Yeah. Um, this is the old school idea of D.C. is dead. The Democrats have killed it. The old school idea was lobbyists on both sides of the. I don't. I don't have a problem with lobbyists. They're in the Constitution. The problem is the size of the government. Their lobbyists are lobbying. Uh, that being said, you know, if you had an issue, you had two sides of the issue. Both sides work Congress. To try to move the Congress people closer to their position. And then at the end of the day, they sit down, they hash out a compromise, and pass a law. And neither side's totally happy. Neither side's totally left out. Democrats won't negotiate and haven't in years. Remember Obama on Obamacare? There was no negotiation with Republicans on that bill. Right. And that was 15 years ago. Yeah. So the problem is the, the idea, you know, getting rid of lobbyists is so passe now because. All the governing is done by unelected bureaucrats. It has nothing to do with Congress passing laws. Um, you know, this is Vilsack, an unelected ag secretary, telling farmers you can't farm your land.
1: Well what do you I, do. Yeah. He's unelected. You yeah. can't do anything about it. It's unbelievable. Well, I'm sure that it reduces expenses substantially, but nevertheless, and I, I don't know if it's economically in their favor for farmers not to farm, but uh, you know, it is a, it, it is uh, moral atrocity that we have resources that we're right now shielding from de- development under uh, the crisis that we have right now with everything that's going on in the world. It's just absolutely an atrocity. In the midst
4: of shortages, it's just unbelievably uh, annoying. Uh, obnoxious and destructive,
1: yes. Absolutely. Seaton Motley, again, the founder and president of Less Government. I encourage you, read this column. It's just shocking. You can go to lessgovernment.org, lessgovernment.org. You can also visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you very much, sir.
1: My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting network
0: stay tuned for more of the bob harton show here on the bob harton broadcasting network
1: you have questions about your retirement
0: Bob Harden Show, and now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us a former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Hey, Bob, it is a pleasure on this gorgeous uh, Thursday. It is. A- um, yeah. So. Um, uh, give you a little bit of an update uh you know the new city manager uh, starts may 1st uh for um for for naples and uh that will be an interesting uh that's going to be interesting um you and i are going to have to watch that one yeah um, they're already talking how long will he last
1: um, <laughs> he's and, he's from yeah. sanibel isn't he
2: no 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 oh no no the our our manager uh Dana went to Sanibel as a, as a new oh, Sanibel manager right. no he's from west uh, he's from uh from uh palm beach township west palm beach township okay um he's was the deputy manager there for quite a few years has a good reputation um and um we'll see how long he can stand up to uh to the micromanaging uh mayor.
1: Well, I certainly wish him well. I mean we we need a city manager and we need a competent one too. So hopefully he'll have some control and say into what goes on. Uh the likelihood is probably pretty small.
2: Well, I, I you know, I mean I think he's um I think he's he's uh from from meeting him, I didn't have much of a chance to talk to him, but from what I understand he's very good at uh <clears throat> what he does and um we'll we'll just <clears throat> have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And uh, see what happens. Uh, Meanwhile, the police contract uh, remains unsigned. Uh, Council does not want to talk about pensions at all. And there are a lot of people that are uh, that are very, very upset. We've got, from what I understand, nine police officers ready to leave uh, Hmm. for better jobs. Um, And um, I have no clue what uh, what council is doing because they meet in closed session and uh um it's 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 kind of hard to tell
1: that's unfortunate
2: the last one they were out in the open i guess but they just said no um they they uh, don't want to talk about pensions so uh we'll wait and see where 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 that one goes but uh you know on on uh uh, on the brighter side i guess you know we've had a wonderful season here and um we've seen car carriers all over the place so i guess our um winter snowbirds are heading out
1: yeah and uh, it's great to see car carriers are, <laughs> are everywhere and uh you know as much as we we need the business and we need people coming here to because it really helps and supports our economy it's always nice at this time of the year to say Whew, you know yeah. they're leaving that's good
2: <laughs> well, well true and and at least we, we we can we have that affordability to be able to say that um which is nice because they love Naples and uh it's a good thing because I I can't imagine it on the other side of that if nobody was here and you know uh, this was a a struggling city which it isn't so you know there there's 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 a positive no matter what
1: absolutely so uh, Bill, a- any thoughts or reactions to what's happening on the national scene or the international scene
2: uh i don't know bob i'll I'll tell you um you know we look at uh I I think I told you before we get the New York post um delivered every day um and I'm um, just looking at that and you know what's going on that New York that New York subway shooter mm. uh um they've charged him with uh, terrorism and uh just people are I I mean I I don't really have anything or know what to say in today's world it just seems to be crazy out there you know um
1: well, I would come back, come back to a point that you made earlier about the uh, police right now. If we have nine police that are considering leaving for better opportunities because this issue hasn't been resolved, we need to pay attention to that. And that uh, Good police are uh, at a scarcity here in the United States. There are opportunities, and people can leave and uh, pretty much find a place where they'd like to be. And uh, law and order is what really drives uh, the security of our area, and uh, we we just can't afford to to uh, all of a sudden give signals that uh, we don't have the law enforcement in place in order to protect us.
2: Well, it, it, you know, and it's, it's, it's more than that. I'll tell you, Bob, if we go back as long as I've been on your show and, and before that, um, I ran on, in 1984 as a rookie council member, I ran on public safety on the fact that even back then our little Naples was was uh, we wanted the best police and fire that we could possibly get. And we held that line for years and years and years and years. And, uh, um, you know, I don't know where it's gone sour a little bit, but, you know, when they when the police, do, when we don't have enough police to do an event, when there when was a big event down on Fifth and they say, look, we're we're going to be shorthanded here, etc." You know, some of the people are starting to are taking this very seriously and they should yeah, um, because. The city is not broke, Bob. Okay, you know that we can we can pay them and they should be paid and we should be recruiting the best people should. You know, there should be a waiting list of of police officers and firefighters for Naples because um, that's that's what we're all about. And our citizens not not only want it, they deserve it.
1: Yeah. So uh, do you have any indication what the hesitancy might be on the part of city council to get this thing resolved?
2: Yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't know. I believe that Vice Mayor McCabe has a lot to do with this. Uh, he seems to have his nose right in the middle of what's going on every time there's a meeting or something. He's he's in and out of there. The mayor was nowhere to be seen. And um, uh, I, I don't know who's playing the hard line, but I think he is. And um, <clears throat> so I, I don't know what's driving them, so to speak. But I um i just did and it's not all of them either by the way Mm -hmm. um it's the majority of them and and that's sad so and then the hospital i know we're out of time but i know then the hospital is the other thing they keep stalling making that decision next thing you know they'll be on uh summer vacation and um i don't know how long the hospital is going to hold out before they just simply say listen hey we're going to go build it up in north naples you know and and the residents do want that that uh hard institute here yeah so that's another one we're we're watching closely
1: yeah i mean it, it it seems to me they deserve a decision because to to sit on their hands they're only watching with inflation they're only watching their costs go up substantially so yeah, uh, the, yeah. The, it's it's really a shame. I mean, the, the, if the answer is no, we're not going to allow any variances with our building code. Then uh, okay, they have an answer, they can deal with it. But uh, no answer at all. That just is. There's no reason. Yeah, for that.
2: and and finally, um, the beach club. You know, the, this guy um, Myers. He's suing everybody that he can possibly uh, sue. He sued our our planning director Erica Martin. He got served with a lawsuit because um, she he feels she she was. She didn't do something right in the, in the planning on the beach club, and um, uh, he's uh, <clears throat> this guy is out of control.
1: Yeah. It's so, so interesting. We drove down to, to Blue Provence last night and had dinner. What a wonderful dinner it was, and, of course, talking with Jacques. But the, in addition to that, driving by the beach club, it's amazing to see it's being torn down right now. Hey, and speaking yeah. of which, the Third Street Market, uh, that's been raised, uh, but nothing's going on. Is there going to be any kind of movement on building that property?
2: Um, oh, you mean where the hotel's supposed to be? Yeah, I haven't heard a word, um, one way or the other, on that. Um, I know it had it was sold, and um, but but nothing. Yeah. Um, at least they cleaned it up and it's grassy and whatever, but uh, it's all fenced off. So I I don't know, Bob. Um, see if we can find out for you.
1: All right, good. Well, Bill, I always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank well,
2: you. My pleasure, and uh, you have a great weekend.
1: You have a great weekend as well. Thank you so much, Bill. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got uh, great guests for tomorrow's show, including William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. Uh, we're going to be visiting uh, with uh, Rick LaCastro. He is our uh, Cahaya County Commissioner. We'll visit with Dr. Rick Morton. Interesting story about he's adopted children from the Ukraine It should be the Ukraine. It's not the Ukraine. And uh, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Bobharden at hotmail.com. If you enjoy the show, tell your friends. That's how we grow uh, the listenership and also our advertisers appreciate it. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are,